Hi, I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. Welcome to the GAF, another episode of the GAF. Scott Fitzpatrick here, joined with Paul Crane. Great to have you back, Paul. Good to be back, Scott. Looking forward to sharing what I think the listeners will get a lot out of this morning. Great, great framework. Thanks, Paul. So if we let's let's just take a step back and have a look at what we're trying to do here. We're trying to give advisors in the wealth management, accounting, legal, financial services space some additional tools to put in their toolkit to help when they're advising successful families, successful business owners. And you know, if we look at uh, what are we trying to achieve with this, or what's the feedback from clients? They're after advisors who can give them a lifetime plan advisors who can think about all of their affairs. And I know you're passionate about some of the business frameworks you, you, you bring to this. What I'm particularly interested in is for advisors to have awareness about their own business stages and also to give them some knowledge or some insight into their clients' business stages as well. Yes, uh, a lot of these frameworks that I do coach advisors, uh, accountants, lawyers on, they actually find them really useful to have conversations with their clients with as well. So there's lots of, I guess, different ways of using these frameworks, not only in your own business, but potentially having conversations with clients, particularly successful business owners, family businesses. This is the framework we're sharing this morning is a, is a fantastic one because it actually deals with feelings and emotions in, in a very, I guess, commercial uh, context. So, and I know we touched on context I think Brian covered it uh, in one, the last episode. And to me, context for businesses gives them clarity. So context gives meaning to content. So I often use the example of writing up red on the whiteboard and go, what does red mean to you? And I could get 15 different versions in a room about what red means. I go, who's right and who's wrong? So what comes to mind is danger. Danger. Some people go passion. Some people go excitement. Some people go depth. And I go, who's right? Stoplight, wine, 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 good wine. And and then I go, who's right and who's wrong? And invariably, some will go, I'm right. And I'm going, okay, understand the dynamics, how this group works. And the reality is no one's right, no one's wrong. It's a bit of content. So then I draw an arc across the top of red and I put the word traffic up the top there. I go, what does red mean now? And I go, stop. I get worried when there's no response, actually. But... Um, and I get, you know, and then they go, oh, right. I said, so imagine if you had this in your business, you had context. So rather than argue for hours around content, you'd bring it up into context. And so what, I'm, uh, what we're sharing is not only how, how to have conversations, critical conversations, which a lot of that is bringing people out of content into context. It's sharing some contextual frameworks that help you understand the business. So when you've got context, you then understand things a little clearer and step back and make much more informed decisions and and also uh, have more confidence around making decisions. So uh, I don't know if anyone's read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great it's, book. It's a great book. I reread that probably every year. There's so much depth and gold in that book. And there's a story which just sums up 
a great in a, in, a, in a really simple manner around what context content means. Where he's had a hard day at work, he's finally on the train in New York, coming back from you know hard day at the office, just wanting to read his paper and relax. There's a couple of kids on the train with a father, and they're just jumping on seats, grabbing his paper. You know, he goes, "Oh my God!" And after about 40 minutes, he's looking around. Everyone's pretty frustrated. And so he looks at the father and goes, mate, I think I've been pretty patient. You know, can you control your kids? What's, what's going on here? And the father looks at him with almost tears in his, in his eyes, going, look, oh, I apologise, mate. I'm, I'm just coming back from the hospital. Their mother's just passed away, and I'm just trying to contemplate how I'm going to get on with my life with my kids. Now, the content hasn't changed, but he now understands the context. And context is the why. Uh, that stuck with me. I read that book 30 years ago. And so I, that's a powerful story, isn't it's it? It's a simple story, but every day we judge content in your business, with your staff, with your clients, and often you don't understand the context. So it's to me, I'm really passionate about it because life can be a lot less stressful, um, a lot more clarity in your life, and, and and you don't stress over a lot of things because you step back a bit more. This is going to be a theme we run through a lot of these uh, episodes about getting context first before we try to solve the Always content. Always solve the content. I'll give you a few examples. Um, maybe not now, but we could spend ages on this topic because a lot of my coaching is really helping clients and business owners get out of content into context, which can sometimes be a bit more confronting. So in a law firm, it's you know if they've got a debtor problem, the first thing, where will I try and fix that? That poor old accounts department, they get hammered and come up with a data control program. I stop and go, is that really going to fix it? Yeah, what do you mean? I said, well, my word, that's a bit of content. Why is this happening? And we step back. It's actually happened at the first meeting lawyers were having with their clients. We get None of them had any sales training. You do some sales training, it gets to pricing, and they'll be, oh, we'll send the invoice out to you. <laughs> Don't even mention it. So when you... Chuck it up a next layer, it, it's then confidence. And if you really want to get to the highest context, is they didn't value what they did. They thought they were expensive. So until I got them to understand what they're doing is valuable and you sit in front of a client with confidence and talk about the price openly very early on, it's not a problem. So that's context. It's a lot more difficult conversation around valuing what you do than diving into content and coming up with a data control program. That's just a simple example. Great example. So let's move on. Where do we start with this thing? Well, let's start. This is a journey. <coughs> Sounds like a TV show. <laughs> Take you on a journey. <laughs> yeah, strap in. Uh, it, it's a wonderful framework. This this called the stages model, stages framework, because it takes businesses and individuals on a journey. Uh, I've taken um, industries. You know, you can plot industries on this. You can take athletes on this. It's a very contextual framework. But it links really quite well the feelings and emotions people go through starting up a business and then going through the different phases and how that affects the way people communicate, uh, behave and often make decisions. And I'll do this as quick as I can because I can spend two hours on this quite easily. Well, let's, let's run through it. But for you, you, know, you listeners there, let's, whilst you're driving along or listening to this podcast, have a think about where you're up to in your own business journey. Maybe where your better clients are up to. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. You'll, a lot of people do reflect, and, and, it, and it doesn't take too long to work out where you might be. So uh, the first first stage is we call startup. So day one, you're starting a business. Uh, how are you feeling? A lot of people, you know, excited. Some people a little bit nervous and apprehensive. Most people are pretty excited. 
Then they leave hypothetically their job and now they've started a business and now they've got to get clients, they've got to do the work, they've got to get, get invoiced, then they've got to you know, get more clients. And we often say, well, how would you start feeling? And the word we put there is frantic. So frantic is a lot of energy, but it's all over the place. One day could be up going, God, this is the best decision I've ever made. A week later, you haven't got any clients, you've got no work, you might be feeling, oh my God, what am I doing? So I often use it, it's a bit like the stock market, it, it's going up and down. So in frantic, what's, how would you make decisions? Well, it's going to be quite reactive. What sort of clients would you take on? Anyone. Often, anyone, anyone. Anyone. Anyone with a heartbeat. They've got a pulse. They haven't got a pulse. <laughs> we'll go and give them CPR and might even leave an invoice there and hopefully get paid. So it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, very reactive. So if I'm working with a client in Frantic, I often say to them, before you make any major decisions, can you just, just call me and just let's talk it through. Um, the last first episode, we talked about positioning. So this is the first framework or, or focus of to get the business to look at is get clear on what is your value proposition, who is your ideal client, what is my pricing strategy, and what's my service offering. This is where often, particularly accountants who you know, start out, will take on a you know, $80 I return, yeah, $20, $1,000, we can do that. Um, often, so they're creating what I call a, a, a really mixed position in the marketplace and need a whole range of different skills through their business and their pricing is all over the place. Now, the reality is when you start, sometimes you do have to take some non-ideal clients just to get some cash flow happening. As long as you're conscious of that, and it's around managing expectations. So startup uh, is you know, a lot of frantic energy. So then the next phase, um, if you stay in frantic too long, this is where some businesses can be in anxious, which is when they start to question, can I get through this? Uh, particularly, you know, it'd be a lot of... I, probably in the hospitality industry right now, there'd be a lot of people in anxious going, are we going to get back and, and mm. be able to get through the next phase? Just be aware your staff are going through this as well. So when you, you know, employ someone, they're going to go through frantic. So the last thing you do to them is give them 100 things to do at once. Uh, this is going to make them more frantic. And don't focus on time frames. Focus on the process. Um, hopefully get through anxious. The way to get out of startup is to work out, there's, there's a little brick wall we call the next phase, which is called invest. So if you work out, so for a, a small business owner, that could be, you know what, I've got to get a staff member on to help me um, be able to do more of the things that I'm good at. Uh, for some business, an investment could be moving out of home and getting an office. For some, it could be spending some money on marketing. Um, you've got to work out what's the investment that's going to get me to the next phase, which we talk about growth. So investment is generally when the business starts to get a few clients on board, starting to feel more confident, and you go, actually, I think this is going to work, and I need to make an investment. So often it is putting a, a staff member on, um, but again, a lot of people can make frantic decisions and, and not necessarily employ the right sort of people, matching the kind of business they're trying to grow, not conscious of culture, all those sorts of things. So invest, uh, the more you invest, generally the the better you go through the next phase, which is growth. So just just be aware too, if you've got staff who may be going through anxious, this is when they need to have someone to, to mentor them, uh, someone to express their feelings to. It, it's, a, it's a challenging time uh, and, and help them you know, get into what I call context again. Next phase is good time. So that's when the business now is starting to get more regular revenues, more consistent. Um, you now got enough clients on to feel a bit more relaxed. So good times is you may not be making massive profit here, but you're feeling more relaxed. 
about the business. So you know, you're not sitting up on Sunday going, can I pay the staff this week and you know, how are we going to get through the week? So good times for a lot of businesses um, could be, again, the time frame's different. For some, it could be six months. Some businesses can be in good time for years, just cruising along, seeing their clients, and um, often they've got time to spend with their good clients. They might take clients out on a Friday afternoon, and life's pretty good. For staff, good times would be they now know their role, they come to work, they do their job. Doesn't mean they don't have stressful days, but now they're now feeling more relaxed and confident about what they're doing. Then the next phase is what we call payback. So payback uh, can be sometimes uh, an advisor suddenly having the confidence to start pricing what they probably should be pricing, uh, or probably maybe put on a couple of really high-end ideal clients and suddenly start to go, well, actually I'm starting to make some profit in my business. Um, or for some businesses increasing their pricing, sometimes it's market driven. Uh, I remember years ago working with a uh, strata management uh, system that this, this guy had. He had 100 clients and he wasn't really making a lot of profit. So he decided to double his price thinking if I lose 50% of my clients, I'll be okay. He lost two out of 98 clients. <laughs> so he's obviously undercharging because yeah. they were completely reliant on his system. So he's, suddenly his profit went through the roof. So that's called payback. So payback is uh, when you know, you're starting to feel finally getting some return on your investment. Um, so that's feeling, yeah, feelings here, are, we call it euphoric. That might be a bit strong, but you're feeling really, really good. Now... Um, the, the temptation there is some, some businesses where ego can get in the way. I see this with particularly, uh, I don't work in this real estate industry much more now, but you know, suddenly you've got a salesperson making you know, really, really high income um, and they don't stay there too long. So I often use the analogy of athletes. There are some athletes in tennis, for instance, have been in payback for 20 years, earning high, you know, the Federers and the Dales. Um, why? They stay focused. So they keep doing what got them there. So this is where some people start going, oh, we're pretty good. You know, we don't need to... Start to believe your own yeah. magic. Magic. Yep. You, know, you know, I'm a bit busy to see that client today. I'm playing golf. So Now, not everyone goes through that. You can actually stay in payback if you're focused and disciplined. Uh, for some staff, payback is promotion. And that, that creates another challenge because often you're taking people are promoted because they're technically really good at the, what they do. They're a really good accountant. Suddenly they're promoted to a team leader and their whole role changes. So they've gone from a technical person to now having to be a leader, having to deal with difficult conversation with staff, going and selling. Um, so you know, if you're conscious of that, there, there's some, some coaching and mentoring required here. So once we go through payback, um, the next phase is the business is growing now, so suddenly you're getting more clients. So then you go, gee, I need more staff. You put more staff on. You then go, gee, I think I need a bigger premise. You get a bigger premise. You know, oh, geez, now we need software. Oh, upgrade. I'm feeling the weight. You're, you're feeling this is bringing back memories, oh, Scotty. I'm feeling I've got a lot of flashbacks going oh, on here. And then you're going, geez, remember the good old days when yeah. I come to work? Take, I knew everyone. I take got, me back there, please. And now you're, you're starting to feel frustrated because your role's starting to change from being the advisor, the accountant, the lawyer who just came to work and did their job. Now you've got staff who want training and they want your time. And now you've been sitting in recruitment interviews and clients want you more. And you go, oh, my God. So this is where frustration, which eventually leads to stress, can kick in. And, and it's because the business is successful, but your role has changed and uh, often we haven't put what I'll call platforms in place. 
Um, we'll talk about at another time. But they're the things that create efficiencies. So this is where you'll, you know, I'm working with a law firm, you know, eight partners, and they'd have a management meeting once a month for a whole day, supposedly on strategy, and, and it, it was a, a waste of time. And uh, we won't, we'll cover a framework called functionality down the track, but they were focusing on things that weren't even revenue generating. Typically, it's about the cost of the photocopy cost, machine. Yeah, so they start looking at costs rather than actually what are the efficiencies in the business mm -hmm. and how we can um, just get what I call the running rate back up. The last thing, often slashing costs is the worst thing you can do because you're cutting out some, some so good resources. We've both seen businesses in that second brick wall that can be from you know six months to 10 years or never get out of that second brick wall. Absolutely, yeah. So if you stay in that stress frustration too long, you do end up hitting what we call the second brick wall, which is, is a tough place for businesses to be in. Um, the financial services industry is, is in the second brick wall right now. As an um, industry. As yeah. an industry. So when you hit the second brick wall, two things need to happen contextually. And they're the two hardest things for humans to do, which is change and letting go. So I often say to people, when do most people make change? So when do most people do something about their health? When you're very unhealthy, just had a heart attack? Yeah, even sometimes then people don't yeah. change. You know, see what they cigarette, I'm not even smoking. <laughs> when do most people do something about their health, uh, their, their finances? Again, when they're, when they're in hit trouble. Rock yep. Or you know, do something about their business. So unfortunately, people only change for one or two reasons. Desperation or inspiration. And so yeah, it's a hard thing to, to help people through. So, you know, what we do as leaders and as coaches is inspiring people to hopefully make some change. And the other thing is letting go. So letting go in the second brick wall, maybe letting go of clients who just aren't a match anymore. It could be letting go of some staff that just are not the right fit culturally or skill-wise. Uh, it could be letting go of your ego. Letting go of control was a big one. You know, owner, you know, who used to sign the check and make every decision in the business, now they've got 30, 40 staff. You can't do that anymore. It's a, it's a great line about what do you need to let go of to get what you really want. Yes, it's a great line. A wise mentor of mine once said, you know, if you know work out. You know, sometimes you've got to let go of what you have in order to get to what you want. And and letting go is friggin' hard. So there the, there's a lot of coaching, mentoring, and, and some some really deep conversations happen in the second brick wall. And the overriding thing the business needs here is new skills. So the skills that they had back in startup when it was just them or one or two staff is very different now when the business has grown to, you know, it might be 10, 15, 20 staff. You now need, you know, HR skills. You now need sales skills. You now need leadership skills, communication skills. It, it go, it's endless. So it's working out what those changes need. Um, so the, the role then is to, how do we get out of the second brick wall? Well, the five things will help a business transition and, and, and maybe not spend so much time on the wall are five key things. We've covered the first one at, at the first uh, episode, positioning. So it's getting clear on, are we aligned across our business? Uh, the next one is network. So have I got the right network around the business that could be helping you with referrals, attracting the right sort of ideal client? Uh, the network could all be also mentors and your best of breed team around you if you've got the right people around you, accountant, lawyer, financial advisor. Functionality, we'll touch on that in another episode, but that's have we got the right people in the right roles. So this is where letting go and, and sometimes new st staff stepping up and taking more responsibility. Capability, have we got the right capability and skill set 
in the business and across the business. And succession is, you know, not only how you exit the business, but who am I, who am I training up and mentoring to take other roles on so that we can keep growing. So when, when we hit the brick wall, we, we go through that disillusion phase. The, the feelings there range from anger to almost shut down denial. Then we go into a research phase going, okay, well, what do we need to do? To, we need some help here. So that could be joining tech group, uh, doing the management course, maybe getting a coaching. And then people get energised and see some changes they need to make and then hopefully get through the second brick wall. And there's sort of three ways it can go. One is to advance growth which is what I call a, a sustainable business, which has controlled growth, which is another topic we'll touch on down the track, versus unsustainable growth. Uh, and they have those five things pretty much in, in that I just mentioned in their business. They may choose to plateau. So there are some accounting firms just wanting to kind of keep the clients they've got, hang on, not make much change, uh, which is going to make it pretty hard to sell for people wanting to buy in, but that's a choice. Could be a valid strategy. Could though. be a valid strategy, and there's some staff who yep. just want to see out the career yep. for the next five years, which is very, quite understandable. Or they may go into decline, which can be a strategy, which is, you know, we need to let go of clients, re rejig our business model and positioning, and start, you know, sort of almost start again, or make some poor decisions. We've seen that with some big sort of brands that uh, go into decline. So often the, the owner can feel lost when they come out of that brick wall. Um, the feeling of lost is because they are, sometimes their roles change. So from seeing clients every day to now maybe not seeing as many clients, maybe going out there doing the business development kind of activities, leading the business, um, if that's what they really want to do, which is another topic. Um, and then they feel proud when they get through that because they now can sit back and actually know the business isn't reliant on them to, to actually function. They can go away on holidays, the business can run. So Paul, you know, when you walk into a business, you can almost tell where they're up to just by how they're feeling about the place. Absolutely, you can almost feel the energy in the business. Yep. Um, and, and you just ask, and I verbally just take business owners through this quickly, verbally, and, and just go, you know, mm. you know, if you think about the you know, feeling about the business, what, what, when you get home at night, how you're feeling. And, and most people, you know, I often say, they might say they're sec in the second brick wall. I go, well, have you hit payback yet? And they'll go, no. I said, well, you may be just still frustrated because you're still in good times. You haven't quite got the payback. So just there's a few questions you can ask. Uh, some people do put themselves way ahead where they are. There's no judgment around this. And you, you said at the start that this, you know, you could a profession, you could overlay a profession across this, an industry, a business, but also someone's own personal career. Yes, so a good example, I had a lady who's an architect who uh, it, it was, it was in the second brick wall grappling with technology because she you know, grew up drawing by hand and everything like that. And she joined a new business, that was in, so she, she was in startup in that business. So you know, we realised we had to help her career-wise get out of the second brick wall before she could actually transition through the business. So you've got lots of different layers. You've got people's own personal life. I've had a CEO who was in the second brick wall personally going through a marriage breakdown and all those sort of things and, and his business was in that startup phase so it was a very energetically challenging um, period for him and then obviously we've got industry overlay um, I remember uh, meeting two guys who put eight million dollars into a basketball team on the Gold Coast and basketball back this is about 10 years ago was in the second brick wall it's just coming out of the brick wall I think it's, which is exciting but when I was in Perth back in the 80s, it was in payback. 
you, know, you couldn't get a ticket to yeah, go to yeah. basketball. Yep. So they were feeling very anxious, putting $8 million into a, bit, a, a sport that was in the second brick wall. And unfortunately, they lost a lot of money because it, uh, it didn't go forward. So, Paul, what do we do with this? What do we do with this information or these st- stages? If I'm sitting there... I'm sitting there in front of a good business client, or their a lot of their business, their wealth is you know trapped inside. It traps the wrong world, but sitting inside their business, and I can sense a frustration. I can sense there's a range of issues there. Yeah, it's a it's a great framework. I, I remember having a conversation with uh, some business owners that had three people that were looking at buying equity in the business, and it was a great way to acknowledge the journey the owners have been through, because. The, the new people just see, you know, oh, you know, the business is going really well and and they haven't seen, you know, them going through the second brick wall and through the investment and through the frantic and the anxious. So it's a great, for a business owner, it's great to know where you are personally because that, you know, as a leader, your energy is on loudspeaker, your language is on loudspeaker. So you've got to be aware of your energy, understand it. So it's great for staff to know where you are. It's great for you to know where your staff are because that can create much better communication and understanding. And then also what strategies your business should be doing right now. You know, if you're in, in uh, frustration, stress, which by the way, often is when you go into judgment and all you can see is what's wrong in the business, there's often some platforms that need put into place. The last thing you need is growth. So that's where you may need <coughs> things like functionality. Let's get clear on who's making decisions for what area of the business and what skills do we need. Could be neat, you know, we need some sales skills. We're getting all these leads. We're not converting <laughs> We're not converting any. any. So you're going to go and spend money on marketing. Well, it's probably a waste of money because you're not going to convert the ones you get. Uh, it could be, let's go and buy, you know, put more staff on. Well, you may have enough staff. You just haven't got the right skill set or the right um, functionality in your business. So it does give you clarity on where you're at. Uh, wherever you are is okay. You've got to be successful to get past the first brick wall. I say to business when they hit the second brick wall and that frustration, I said, you know, the reality is you're, you're, you're one of the few that have got have through got it. through this. You know, I think the stats were when a business started after five years, there's three out of 10 left. And after 10 years, I think it used to be one. I think it's going to be less than one. It's going to be 0.78. So you've got to acknowledge, well, I've, I've done really well to get where we are. And now what is it I need to change or let go in myself or in the business for us to go to the next phase and then guess what you get through the second brick wall and uh, what happens again Fitzy? it starts again <laughs> it starts again away but you go i think it's a wonderful framework and i've used this framework for so many different reasons when i'm advising family wealth um, firstly it's a it's a great one when we're talking succession um, We've got the matriarch or patriarch who have built the business, the founders, and then, you know, how do they pass this on? Well, what are they passing on and what stage are we up to in this? It's a, so I really use it for, the, for that framework alone. And then it's a great one to start a, the discussion about, well, when do I need to bring an advisory board in to this business? I'm trying to do this all by myself, and that's where, you know, the concept of business coach or advisory board starts to get formed. Yeah, I think that, initial conversation. Yeah, that point about families is really important. I think it, it creates that conversation around feelings yep. because for a lot of people, letting go is really hard. So let's not just do numbers, but let's have the conversation around emotions and, and acknowledging those and respecting them. And I think it's a really important part of the, the whole succession conversation. That's great, Paul. Uh, look, you know, it's a fantastic framework. We'll speak more about these frameworks in the future, but I think it's... Uh, 
It's one of our central conversations that we're, we're trying to bring to the marketplace for the advisors to have the additional tools to deal with their, their family business, successful family conversations. So thank you once again. Pleasure. It's been a, another great session from you. And you know, my takeaway from this is always look for context first before we go into solution phase. Absolutely. And then if we can overlay this model, it's going to help give a lot of people a lot more clarity and take some pain out of their life. Yes. And, and the, the frameworks are there to help you have these critical conversations, not get in the way. They're here, there to help you. Thank you, Mr. Paul Crane. Thanks, Scotty. Love your work. Thanks for listening to another episode of the GAF podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.